What does Paul mean by saved through childbearing in 1 Timothy 2.15? Could it be a reference to the mysterious goddess Artemis who haunts the letter? Well, hello and welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. A very special guest on the show this time is here to take us on a mysterious quest through the ancient world. She's Sandra Glan, a professor of media, arts and worship at Dallas Theological Seminary, where her emphases are first century backgrounds related to women, culture, gender and the arts. She's authored or edited more than 20 books, including Earl Grey and Ephesians. I love the title. (laughs) This time, though, she's here with us to talk about her new IVP America book called Nobody's Mother, Artemis of the Ephesians in Antiquity and the New Testament. And if you're like me and you have a bit of a a classical studies bent uh, and you're interested in the background to the New Testament, you'll find this fascinating. It is. Sandra, it is pronounced Sandra rather than Sandra. It is, yes, yes. correct. Thank Sandra, you. Sandra, hi. Welcome from the States. Thanks so much. Now, uh, first questions first. How did this book arise out of your own personal experience? So I am a big believer in starting with narrative. I have a good friend whose degree is in narrative medicine and making the observation that often when we go to the doctor, we'll fill out a chart, but the first question is, when did it start? How did it start? So I love that you began with that question because the scholarship we can dive into, but it was very much coming out of my own narrative of wanting to follow Jesus, wanting to live toward his ideal, being completely ready to uh, married happily, to be a mom, have four kids. We joke in America that I was ready to be in Oregon wearing Birkenstocks and, you know, homeschooling <laughs> with an herb garden, you know, whatever the ideal was. And my husband and I hit the brick wall of infertility, which was stunning because I'm the fourth of five children. And all my life, my parents had been teased, you know, there are ways to prevent that. And it never occurred to me that we would have the opposite situation. And I was haunted by that little phrase, a woman will be saved through childbearing. And as you can imagine, because I was unable to bear children and uh, we had three years of no success, then seven early pregnancy losses, then an ectopic pregnancy. And for me, the most difficult part of that, which there was plenty of hardship in that, but the most difficult part was the spiritual. Where do I fit? What do I do? And a lot of the good Bible teachers, you know, do how who held to a high view of scripture were saying it means a woman's places in the home. It means that she was made for the nuclear family. And then actually, then I did a little bit of travel and then I saw that doesn't really fit in a non-middle-class context. I couldn't go to remote Kenya and tell women they had to stay in their huts and, and have babies. They're in the Agora, they're selling cucumbers or whatever. All that to say, it arose out of a deep spiritual question that I had and a deep dissatisfaction with all the parts not seeming to fit in the puzzle for how we were explaining Paul. So I have spent the last quarter of a century looking at what is the context of the words that he wrote. Where was he? He was in Ephesus. Do we know about Ephesus? The book of Acts gives us a big old chunk of information about what's happening spiritually in that context. Yes. Uh, What does Acts tell us about Ephesus? Yeah. So if we're looking two different stories, which actually I did my dissertation in this more than 10 years ago. And when I came back to refresh the work and see what new stuff had happened before I published this particular book that's coming out in October of 23, I didn't connect that there's magic and then there's Artemis. I I thought the two were disconnected. 
right? They're, they're two separate spiritual forces, but we now have more access, more easy access to in the inscriptions. And I began to see that, no, this is all one big conglomeration. We, we find incantations to Artemis. So Luke reports that the gospel work is so massively taking over the magic workers that they're burning their very expensive books in the probably the first bonfire of the vanities. Uh, and that on the heels of that, then you read about how the silver workers are upset that the gospel is cutting into their economics. And, you know, that beautiful theater that's still there that holds 25,000 people has the, the city rushing in there to protest. And for two hours, they're chanting great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And I looked at that and I thought, I would never say great is Jesus of Dallas. I would just say great is Jesus. And so that was one of the first questions I asked was, why would they add a city description to that? And my conclusion with the help of a little bit of classics uh, training in my PhD program was that my often a, often a god or goddess would take on a local flavor uh, in the same way that the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor in America has a connection with immigration that the same statue in Paris does not have. Same statue, same manifestation, you know, still Lady Liberty, you know, carrying a torch, but in one city takes on a special nuancing. And in the case of Ephesus, uh, Artemis is a midwife and she's connected with midwifery and the delivery event and saving babies, saving women or killing them quickly, which was certainly preferable to writhing in pain and dying nine days later. Yes. Uh, if we can just come back and ask who was Artemis of the Ephesians? Yeah. So we, she is the generic Artemis, which we probably my main source on that is Homer. There are others and the stories differ a little bit, but Mostly, they're all in agreement in the ancient sources that she is the daughter of Zeus. Zeus is married to Hera, but Zeus cheats on Hera with Leto. She conceives twins, Artemis and Apollo. Uh, Leto's flying around looking for a friendly place to give birth, and nobody wants to cross Hera. So she has a little trouble finding a place, but finally there's a little grove called Ortigia near Ephesus, which is what makes Ephesus the natal city in the same way that we would look to Bethlehem as the natal city of our God, who is, of course, is the God of the universe, but that's a different issue. <laughs> anyway, it takes on this natal city aspect to the point where people are traveling from all over the empire to visit the birthplace of Artemis. So Artemis is born first, and that may be very significant in Paul's wording about Adam being first. And uh, then her mother arrives for nine days, uh, as she maybe officiates. And, you know, gods and goddesses are often born full grown. Uh, you think of Athena coming out of his head full grown. So it's not like cherubs or babies. And even I think of them maybe as little bonsai people. They might have been little, but they were fully in use of their faculties. So there, this connection arises with Artemis and the birth event. And she asked Daddy Zeus, would you make me a confirmed virgin? Because I don't want anything to do with sex, uh, you know, marriage, romance, babies. And he says, sure, wish granted. She also says, I want many titles. And, uh, you know, so she's she is uh, a hunter. She's a, a confirmed virgin hunter. And in Ephesus, she is all of that, but with the added nuancing of childbearing. 
Mm. Yes, and uh, the story unfolds, really, and this is the reference that Paul's alluding to. As we'll come on to that in a minute. What, what influence did the Artemis cult have on the church at Ephesus, do you think? That's a, that's a really great question. I found so many Artemis words in, well, certainly in First Timothy. I mean, yeah, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Timothy, I saw hints, certainly in Acts, uh, the book of Ephesians. If you think about when Paul's talking about how we're supposed to put on our armor, and one of the things, uh, the breastplate of righteousness is, to, is for the fiery, sometimes we say darts of the devil, but you know, they come out of arrows. And so I think he he might have had that bow and arrow in mind. Uh, oh, yes, of course, about, Diana, because she was Diana in the Roman. She culture. was Diana. That's right. Diana was her Latin name. And you see oh. it in the Latin inscriptions in the same city. And so oh, the Greek okay. is going to be. In fact, I didn't see it for a long time because I was reading it in the King James and it translated it di- uh, as Diana. Diana, yes. And, and it wasn't. And I knew about Artemis, but I didn't know about about the connection or I didn't really make the connection and just assumed he was, you know, speaking to more of the Roman background. And when I realized that the new Testament actually said Artemis, that sort of blew my mind and and also motivated me to go look further. Mm. And you did, and you have, and you have pages and pages. Of, uh, let's come and look at some of the, the evidence you've amassed in this, in this okay. book of yours. How much do we know about Artemis from the literary sources? Because she's mentioned a lot. I'm always she's astonished. She's mentioned a whole lot. If you look at Pausanias, you know, the, the ancient uh, historian who's just walking through Ephesus, and he's walking through Corinth, and he's writing down the things that he sees. In the introduction to the so the diglot of of the you know the English on one side and the Greek on the other, the translator puts how often a surname appears next to a god, and Artemis is second only to Zeus in nicknames, surnames, city names, city connections. And I think that we have undersold how massively important Artemis was in the pantheon. We hear a lot more maybe even of Achilles than we do of Artemis, but I, I didn't even find his name. Actually, I didn't really even find her brother's name in Ephesus. Wow. Delos really claims him as their own. And uh, I think Ephesus is like, yeah, she's. we got the firstborn here. You know, who cares about the secondborn? <laughs> yeah, I also found absolutely fascinating all the um, ancient statues and the, and the pictures of all the ancient statues. How is she... How is she depicted in ancient statues? Because this so, is this is fascinating. Both ways. Yeah. There we have uh, evidence that there was the the Artemis that is the beautiful maiden with her hair tied up with the bow and arrow and the quiver that you know you might see it at the Metropolitan Museum or you would see it lots of depictions of her that way and you would see that in Ephesus. So it's not that in Ephesus you only have the sort of bizarre looking goddess with the bulbous appendages, no bow and arrow, bees on her side. Um, but they were both in the temple, both in the statuary in Ephesus at the time. So it wasn't either or, it was really both and. Yes. What was some of the symbolism we, so, you found on the statue? Yeah, what so does it all mean? The, and and Because the signs of the zodiac appear there too, don't that's they? That's right. The yeah. signs of the zodiac are on her chest. And if you think about those large bulbous appendages, which people have thought, including Jerome, have thought were breasts. But if you Jerome would. Really, if you look at her high on her neckline, they're little little tiny bulbous things that are the same shape. They're just smaller, so they don't stand out to us as we're looking at her. And our best guess now is that those are Hittite magic bags. 
that are hanging on her front. The, also, there's a bee. It's very possible that at her feet, uh, it's broken up, but it looks like it might be upside down honeycomb. Uh, the B is the city of the city. I'm sorry, the, the sign or symbol of the city of Ephesus. Sometimes people have said, well, of course, she's a queen bee. She's got power. But we really don't think people knew bees. the queen bee was a female until many centuries later when the microscope was invented. So not sure about that. Um, I'm open to that possibility. But as far as I can tell, the bee wasn't necessarily perceived as a woman. They just got that she was the center of the universe if if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, how did the signs of the zodiac come in with her? Well, Artemis is queen of the underworld and the overworld, oh, okay. yep, and yep. so you have you have all these actually these uh, like it looks like bulls on her front, and they look terrified. Like the animals on her body, it you can't tell if her legs are mummified or if she's supposed to look like a bee. I suspect she's supposed to look like a bee. But what's interesting about that, I say her legs, but it's not actually her body parts in the same way that the Hittite magic bags are pouches that are added. And we see this in some of the depictions of the statue. Her face is dark ebony, her hands are ebony, her toes are ebony, but the rest of her is white, which suggests that it's something she put on and wore rather than that, than that it was her body. Yeah. You mentioned magic. Um, how was how was Artemis linked with magic? What was the connection? We are just, I think, really uncovering that. I mean, there there are some works that have been done about magic in Ephesus. Here's what we know about magic in Ephesus, and I think we now have to say Artemis had to do with that. Artem magic was illegal, but it got a pass in Ephesus. Uh, the emperor had a good friend who's a magician, and that really helps, you know. <laughs> and so, so. You would have uh, what we think was like rolling dice that was not different, that different from an eight ball we might play with. Uh, and so you have the Ephesian numbers that are part of the magic. You, We found uh, incantations and in the inscriptions of people. Some of them are funny. They'll even say, you know, Artemis will get revenge against you if you piss on this. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, but you know, it wasn't all like the Jefferson Memorial with its beautiful language. Most of it was either like what you might see in a graveyard or people who had too much money to spare and, and but talked about. So we do see curses and mm. we more so than blessings, actually. We know from Xenophon's novel that it's said in the first century that uh, if if what he's having the main characters do that people would go to the temple of Artemis before a long journey. And because she's magic and has powers, then they would ask her for a safe trip. They would come back to her temple at the end of a safe trip and offer thanks mm. for her. So it's it's powers and it's dark powers, but uh, but the number one cause of death for women is childbirth. So fear is a strong motivator. Yes, well, we we better come back and we mentioned midwifery and childbirth, but I just want to expand on that and ask you a specific question about it. How was Artemis linked with midwifery and childbirth? I know you've already partly alluded to this, but yeah, so we we get the history from Homer, but the way we narrow down to make sure it was still true in the time of Paul is I I get the backstory, but then I start looking in writers contemporary with Paul and inscriptions and sayings contemporary with the earliest Christians there in Ephesus, what are they hanging on to from the ancient story? 
One of the pieces is that Artemis's first temple, which was, you know, three or four centuries BC, it burned down. And so people would ask, well, how, why did it burn down? How, you know, she's so powerful. And the story went, well, our Alexander the Great was being born. And since Artemis is the goddess of midwifery and, you know, the people in the Pantheon cannot be in two places at once, unlike our God, who's omnipresent, she was off away attending to sorting out Alexander. Birth. Yes, as she you would. Dead. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, him taking over the world was more important than her first temple, which was rebuilt. But you can see how she her absence at the time of Paul is still being the being used as the explanation for what's going on with midwifery and why she wasn't there. Yes. Now we get to the really fascinating bit, as far as I'm concerned, uh, which is the titles that Artemis titles, which Paul picks up oh on. Goodness, how yeah. how yeah. does Paul? This was fascinating. How does Paul attribute yeah. Artemis's titles to yeah. the Lord that Jesus is, in one Timothy? This is quite mind blowing, actually. Yeah. So Paul, being a good Jew, is never going to utter the name of Artemis, uh, a sensibility that Luke does not share with him. Luke's going to be in Luke. You know, Acts is probably written by Luke, and he's going to mention. The false gods all over the place but paul's going to go around the barn to you know say things like god's made with hands you know where you fill in the blanks and you see that in in that description of the disturbance in ephesus and luke because they're they're repeating what paul says you know god's not made with the hands aren't really god that's what he's teaching so what happens when we get to first timothy is he's left timothy in ephesus he starts right out of the out of the beginning in verse three of first Timothy, he says, I left you in Ephesus to teach certain people not to teach false doctrine. But he begins his epistle two verses earlier with not what you would expect. Usually Paul begins with grace and peace to you, right? And you'll see that in his letters to churches, but this personal letter to Timothy, he starts out with God as savior reference to Christ as savior. I found at least 23 references to Artemis Soteria, which is the female form of the word savior in inscriptions that would have been there when Paul was there in, you know, pretty prominent uh, role that she played. And that was one of her titles. So I think he is, if you, if you look at how he begins first Timothy, he is pulling out God and he's pulling out Lord, and he's pulling out Savior to the point where some New Testament scholars say, this can't be Paul. He doesn't usually use the word Savior. And I think it would be like somebody saying, this work can't be by Sandra Glahn because she never uses the word kryptonite. <laughs> if I'm referring <laughs> to a superhero, I don't, and I don't want to say his name. Yes, it's an odd, you know, reference for me. If you study all my works, you're not going to find that very often. But if I want to you know, give a nod and some shade, cast some shade on a God. I know what terms to throw around. I think that's what he's doing. And uh, another another title for Artemis is manifest. And you see it uh, in Second Timothy, Paul refers to Christ made manifest. So I think he's just in his mind ticking off some of her titles and attributing them all to Jesus. Yes, is this is a sort of marketing PR campaign. Is it? I mean, is he is he sort of is he trying to um, refer to Jesus as sort of fuller and better Artemis? Is that what's going on? Is that is that the marketing that's going on? Actually, I think that's too low of a standard. I think you're on the right track, but I I don't think Paul would even acknowledge she's anything more than stone. Um, mm. But yes, I think I think he is casting major shade 
without getting himself in trouble. If Timothy is found with his letter, there is nothing blasphemous about Artemis in there. Yeah. But we all know exactly who he's talking about. So what message would this have sent to women, a child, women who were giving birth or preparing to give birth in the church in Ephesus? Yeah. How would this have linked in with their personal experience? Great question. So if we think about what a great motivator fear is, and, and it is their number one fear, and this is a goddess they believe is going to save them out of their number one fear. So that's a challenge for Paul. If, in fact, Luke is right, which of course he is, that his gospel ministry is really taking off in this city, both for the magic workers and the silver workers of Artemis, then you have to believe there are some pagan women coming into the church, Gentile women that are coming to faith in Christ. What is going to be the, the real place where the rubber meets the road for them in terms of faith? It's going to be, okay, you're pregnant and you're not going to go to her temple. You're not going to ask her help. You have to really believe now. <laughs> You have to stake your life on it. And in fact, it wasn't just that woman's life. You know, the, the in the ancient world, they believe that if you hack off our God, she'll take down the whole city. It's not just you. It's very communal, right? And we see this in how they thought about Jews as atheists. And why do you hate us so much that, you, you know, you won't worship our gods? It was They took it personally. So I think Paul, when he's saying a woman will be saved through childbearing and then well, actually, he, yeah, he says she, uh, and the referent is completely unclear. And then he goes on to, to make a plural, if they basically continue in the faith. And then he adds, this is a faithful saying. We usually put this is a faithful saying with a whole new paragraph with a different topic. But it has his line, she will be saved through childbearing, has all the marks of a saying. He's got it singular and then flips it to plural as if he's quoted something and now is describing it. Is it like Paul to quote a local saying and put a Christian spin on it? Absolutely. He has a habit of doing this. And if he's saying she will be saved through childbearing, he appears to be making a promise, not that someone will go to heaven or enter the kingdom, because that's completely not Pauline from, you know, he's very clear on his, his whole book of Romans is justification by grace through faith, right? It, he's not saying that. I do think it's entirely probable that he is saying that what the 20 or so women that are going to be in Timothy's ministry while he's there that are pregnant are not going to die mm -hmm. in a context where that's the test. I think it's very similar to Egypt when before Moses leaves, he takes on every one of their major local gods uh, in a plague. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So he, Paul may be quoting a local proverb about childhood that would have been applied to Artemis. Bingo. Yes. And then okay. he's going, but. Yes, but we have a greater. We, we have Jesus a fuller and greater. I Artemis. think Paul is saying Jesus is better. Yes. Yeah, Jesus is better. Jesus will do it for you. That's right. Trust in him. Mm. Does, uh, just about the last question, Sandra, we're almost out of time. Half an hour has whizzed by as we've been exploring this. Does Paul allude to magic? in 1 Timothy? Not to my knowledge, although, although, again, if he does it, it's subtly. There's that phrase where he talks about, yeah, I think it's chapter five, when he talks about women going house to house, and it's oh, often gossiping. translated, yes, yes, it's translated Places. as gossiping and being busybodies, which maybe a misogynistic will take on that, because that word that gets translated as gossiping 
is a cognate or a form of the word for magic he's used back in Acts when he's talking about the magic books. Ah. And it could be these women are not going back door to back door gossiping. They're going house church to house church teaching nonsense. Yeah, teaching magical practices or yeah. whatever. Or at least talking about it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's warning about it. Very good. So well, they need I'm... to be quiet and learn. Let them learn. Yes, which just takes on a completely different context, doesn't it? If you um, if you look at the background, absolutely fascinating. I'm sure I could ask you a whole heap more, but we've basically had just about. And I could talk a whole lot more. <laughs> uh, I'm it's just fascinating thinking, to me too. Yeah, I, I I just I think I've asked everything I want to ask. It's all good. Yeah, Sandra Glan, there we are. And the new book from IVP America is called Nobody's Mother. We better deal with the title. Why did you yeah. call it Nobody's Mother? Well, because a lot of people will say they look at Artemis's chest, they read Jerome, they think breasts, and the logic says breast nurturing, mothering. Therefore, Artemis must be a nurturing mother goddess. So right up front, I'm saying in my title, she is nobody's mother. She's a confirmed virgin. If anything, she might take out uh, somebody who tries to copulate with her or even accidentally comes upon her bathing we have stories uh artemis is very very strict about that so she's nobody's mother mm, nobody's mother yep artemis of the ephesians and antiquity and the new testament and if you if you love this sort of thing get a copy of it you will love it i did sandra thank you so much for your time and thank thank you and thanks to our creative team at liquid edge who sponsor this podcast and to take care of things behind the scenes sandra bless you thank you we really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the god story podcast if you want to help us make more great episodes like this one you can head over to our patreon page and become a god story podcast supporter you'll receive our undying gratitude plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support just visit patreon.com slash god story podcast that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.